Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to Business Builders Show, where we feature business owners from all over the planet who've got a special expertise, not only in their own space, but in growing their business. So we're bringing you timely, provocative, and actionable resources to inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about the power of the handwritten note with David Wax. Now, David's latest venture is called Handwritten. It's bringing back the lost art of of letter writing through scalable, robot-based solutions that write your notes in pen. It developed as a platform. Handwritten lets you send notes from your CRM, such as Salesforce, the website, apps, through custom integrations of a variety of sources. David's also a frequent speaker on messaging technology and has presented on for the Direct Marketing Association, South by Southwest, Advertising Resource Foundation, and the National Restaurant Association, among others. He currently writes for Inc. Magazine with his column called Stepping Away from the Day-to-Day David, my friend, it's great to have you here, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. It's a real honor. So I know you've got a very unique business. So tell us, who do you serve? We serve, I mean, we serve everybody that wants to send a handwritten note and really stand out. But in reality, that means these days we serve a lot of realtors that come through our door or through our website. We also serve insurance brokers, piano tuners, solar panel installers, luxury brands, the list goes on and on, but we really do try to focus on businesses. So any business looking to reach out and attract more customers or retain customers, um, that that's really our customer these days. That's beautiful. So they share a problem undoubtedly. So can you give us a Kind of a capsulization, David, of the problem that you and your company are able to solve for these folks? The problem is that everybody has gotten lazy and everybody has turned to electronic communication, whether that's emails, and the average person gets about 140 emails a day. The average office worker spends 24% of their time just managing their email inbox so they, they send emails, they send Twitter, they send Facebook, they send Slack, they send um, text messages, which I can talk about because that's where I came from. But they spend all their time on the electronic communication realm, none of the time picking up the phone, because I think these days everybody's afraid to, and none of the time sending actual handwritten notes. Handwritten notes are so few and far between. If you can stand out from the pack using this tech, using our platform or just sitting down and writing handwritten notes, I guarantee you, we as a company guarantee you'll get results or your money back. So, you know, everybody's moved digital. So we pivoted analog, but we use technology to help you do it where you're not going to have to sit in front of a desk and hold a pen and get a hand cramp and run out of paper. We do it all for you. So uh, I'd like uh, I'd like you to explain <clears throat> so how you actually solve uh, this problem you've you've uh, identified, mm-hmm. and uh, what I'm thinking, David, is maybe you could uh, think of a, a case study. Sure. Uh, a, a one of your uh, one of your uh, clients take us through. You know, they showed up. They had the following problem. This is what we did. This is how we do it. This is the result they got. So sort of a yeah. story. 
So let me, uh, let me give you two examples. Okay. Let me give you a smaller and a bigger. So the smaller is a piano tuner. The piano tuner is located in Pennsylvania. He goes into your house once a year, tunes your piano. Your piano doesn't need to be tuned more than once a year. So he doesn't see you for another year. But he wants to send a handwritten note to you to thank you for the opportunity to come into your home, to sit at your most pri prized possession and work on it for you, right? So what he did was he tied us into his pipe drive, which is his CRM system. Now, he could have just typed those notes out um, in our platform directly, but he, he tied us into PipeDrive to ensure that everybody that has their piano tuned receives a handwritten note from us. Um, the way we send those notes or write those notes, I can get into because that's kind of fun. But in the end, what happens is he goes, tunes your piano. He knows four, five, six days later, whenever the USPS gets to it, a handwritten note with his name and his brand is going to appear at your doorstep. A year later, Bill, a year later, when he shows up at your house and he tunes your piano again, often that handwritten note is standing up on the piano. So not only was it opened, not only was it read, it was put on display in the most prized room. As, as a kid, my mom would call it the fancy room of the house. You can't buy that real estate. You can't pay for a billboard to be sitting on the piano reminding you to um, reach out in a year when you need the piano tuned again. But handwritten notes hold such a special heart in our heart that when you receive one, it, it holds you know, great esteem and you're going to act on it, read it, treasure it more than, you'll never do that with a text message. You'll never do that with an email. Another example, we work with a large snack box company. So what this snack box does is we actually have them here in our office every two weeks they send our office a box of snacks, granola bars, beef jerky, all sorts of weird seaweed snacks and the rest. But anyway, we get that box every two weeks. When they started using us as a service, or uh, yeah, when they started using us as a service, they started sending us to people that they had screwed up on, whether they hadn't delivered the box at the appropriate time, had delivered the wrong box, whatever it might be, that person had an issue with the service and they wanted to send a handwritten note follow-up uh, apologizing and providing a new box of service, you know, for the service saying, you know, we're so sorry for the screw up. Here's a new box of snacks. Let's make it up to you. We, we want your business. What they then noticed was those customers that had had the screw up and had had received the winback box and the handwritten note with a genuine apology for the issue actually had a higher lifetime value than the customers that were never screwed up with in the first place. So uh -huh. what do they do? They screw up with everybody. They send a win back to everybody and rise all tides, right? So there's a million ways to use our service. People say, well, what's the most common way you, you help people? We say we send thank you notes. 95% of the notes out our door are thank you. Thank you for the business. Thanks for letting me tune your piano. Thanks for letting me install solar panels. Whatever that might be, but we send a lot of thank you notes around here. The rest of them are birthday or re appointment reminders, whatever it might be. But the vast majority of what we do around here is just helping people be grateful in an automated way. I'm curious about the stamp. Is, is it a stamp or is it, is it a postage meter type of thing? Absolutely. So everything about our service, and this is where the nuance come in, comes in, because there's other players in our space that will laser print a note that looks handwritten. We don't do that. What we do is we have actually built our own robot 
And Bill, I know you're in Phoenix, so I invite you down to see them. We have, we have uh, two patents on it currently and seven more coming. That robot holds a real pen, a Pilot G2 ballpoint pen. You can pick it up at Staples. And then it writes out your note on the stationery of your choice and the handwriting of your choice. It can sign it with your signature. It can write in your handwriting. We then write out the envelope same way, and we put a real stamp on it. So the whole thing from soup to nuts um, looks authentic. We just rolled out last week our new handwriting engine, which before we would vary the line spacing so that two lines aren't exactly the same. And we vary the left margins so that not everything starts at the exact same spot on the left-hand side of the page. And we randomize the letters so that every letter is a little bit different. But now what we do is we bend each line of text ever so gently so that, because people don't write on hard lines and neither should right. your notes. So it is the by far the most authentic looking fake note <laughs> you could send. And we can even include your business card. We, um, much like a grocery store, can activate a Starbucks card, an Amazon card, uh, Home Depot, a couple different brands. We can insert those in with your notes. It's a service that I wish existed when I started the company, and that's how I got into it. That's fantastic. So you, you touched a bit on uh, how you're different from your competition. Yeah. And uh, so and when you described it, I clearly understood, because I've seen what you've said, uh, yes, yeah, sure, it looks like a script, but it looks like a computer produced it. Right. You know, it's, it, basically, it's a font. Right. And I did, I did get a chance to look at the website and see the uh, pictures, pictures of, of the machines. And I will come by, take you up on going in, and going into the plant and taking a look at things. So what sort of price points? Can you uh, give us an idea of, yeah. uh, you know, can I, can I send a note to somebody for 10 bucks or something? Or what oh. sort of price points do I have? You can ab absolutely do it for 10 bucks. Um, I mean, most people would just pay $3, but if you want to pay me 10 bucks, I'd be happy. Oh, excellent. Oh, I love it. Yeah. No, uh, it's a uh, starting price with no discount is $3 and 25 cents plus a stamp. A stamp now is 58 cents. So it comes out or what is it? $3.25 plus 58. Yeah. So it comes out to 383. Um, but if you do an international, you have to pay the international postage, stuff like that. There's multiple ways to get a discount off that $3.25. You can sign up for a subscription where you're buying a bunch at one or, you know, buying a certain amount over time. You can prepay for a bunch, or you can just go on our website and upload a bunch at once. So we don't have to load one of your bill thank you cards into the machine. We can load 50 of them and you get the economies of scale there. So there's several ways to save on that. Our largest clients pay in the $2 range, but you know, for the average uh, Tom, Dick, or Harry, it's $3.25. Now, if you want that card to be customized with your logo at the top and your photo on the back or whatever, there's an additional fee for that because we have to put that card through additional processes. But then, then it's only $3.75 plus postage, so it's still very affordable. Yeah, it truly is. It certainly is for a... a, a a very, very high impact gesture. Right. Even, I mean, just the gesture itself, regardless of how it gets delivered, is really spectacular. You and I talked earlier about 3D mail and that type of thing. Yes, exactly. So um, I think I do for sure, and I believe our listeners have a fine idea of, of how this would help them out. So what I'd like to do now with your permission is talk about your business 
uh, how you came up with the idea, sure. what some of the key milestones uh, uh, were as you grew it, and particularly what I'd like you to either interweave or I'll interject, uh, some of the wins you've had, maybe yeah. the patents, for example, and what you learned from that, uh, maybe a couple, three failures, sure. mistakes that you had, and what you learned from that. So take us through the history of uh, handwriting. Written. Well, if it's okay with you, I'll go back a little further. Um, okay. Prior to this, I ran a text messaging company. So um, before text messaging, I was in venture capital and investment banking and so on. And then uh, I moved out to San Diego to work for a venture capitalist. He turned out to be an insane madman, fired me without cause, and I was out on the street. So um, I thought, shoot, what do I do? Uh, my father was a realtor and he said, why not? And this is before the iPhone. He said, why not use Blackberry or Blackberries or barcodes to get information on houses? And he was actually ahead of the time because the QR code didn't exist back then. But I said, well, maybe not Blackberries, but how about text in for info on houses? So we started that industry oh. um, and okay. I quickly pivoted away from real estate because no offense, I don't like dealing with realtors. Um, and we grew into one of the largest providers of text messaging CRM. I called it mobile CRM out there, doing millions of messages a day for Abercrombie & Fitch, Toys R Us, Sam's Club, Office Max, all these brands. I sold that company in 2010, sorry, 2012. I then had to work with them for two more years during what's called an earnout period for your listeners that, that don't know. But when they buy your company, they often want you to stick around. It's not versus just throw the keys and say, see you later, alligator. So I stuck around for two years, helped them during that transition process. And then when I was leaving during that process, I was like, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? Um, and I wanted to send my clients and my employees handwritten notes, thanking them for sticking with me through all these years. And I sat down and started writing, got through like three of them and thought, this is impossible. Like I just... I'm an ADHD kind of guy. I can't get it together to write all these handwritten notes. I did, but it, it was painful to say the least. So I thought, gee, there has to be a better way. Voila, the day after I left Sell It, my last company, um, I started handwritten. Initially, I started that with off-the-shelf handwriting machines called AutoPens, which if you have a college, a college diploma, it might be signed by you know, the Dean, Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. that would be signed with an auto pen. It was actually invented by Thomas Jefferson. And then it's gone through a few improvements, but the quality still kind of stunk. And the company behind it was very well intended, but a bunch of hippies that couldn't get their stuff together. And it, the company stunk. And I've never had this experience where it was a somewhat decent product, but you can't get past the company. The company was just so disorganized that uh, I couldn't make it work. And I'm a software guy. I've never built a robot before. But I thought eventually I'm going to have to, you know, build a robot. So what happened was we had a very large account, one of these big delivered to your home ingredient mailboxes. And we needed more machines to fill the order. And this, the company that I was working with wouldn't sell them to me. And I basically lost my top. I said, it, I'm out. You know, um, we need our own solution. And prior to that, I had started building, but it really accelerated the process. And we 
um, went through a couple of revisions, but came out with our own robot, which was the biggest change. Uh, and that was about four years, three, three to four years into the company when we came out with our own robot. And having that robot just dramatically changed the business. Um, it allowed us total control. We could build as many of them as we wanted without an outlandish fee. Every time I needed something changed on the robot, I didn't have to go back to the hippies in Virginia. I could do it myself and make it much better. Our robot kept track of pen distance so it knew when it was going to run out of ink and it didn't just write a bunch of you know, characters that didn't exist because the pen was out. Um, it could get controlled by the hundreds uh, the other robot, you could only control 10 at a time using a computer. It was just drastically better. In fact, the founder or the the heir to that company contacted me and said, you know, good luck to you. You better not copy what we're doing. And I thought to myself, I didn't say it, but I said, you know what? I wouldn't know how to build a robot that bad. Um, so our robot um, can do everything that the other one couldn't. And we could build them at a price point internally that makes, made a lot of sense. We then spent every year, every day since then trying to improve it, trying to improve the writing speed, trying to improve the quality, bending the text, all those things. Um, so we truly have the best of breed solution and that's still ongoing. I mean, that it, it took us, we're eight years old now. So four years, three, four years ago, we came out with our robot and we're still working on it four years later, still improving it. I just had a meeting with the engineering team before this about what are we doing next? So there's there's always something to do there, which quite frankly is a lot of fun. Um, and it's neat. We now have 175 robots. We build them in our facility here. Um, they're, they're cut. In our facility, we use laser cutters and 3D printers to make them. It's all built, manufactured here. We build our own circuit boards. We program them. The whole thing, soup to nuts, is vertically integrated as if we're Henry Ford um, back in the day. So that's been one of the biggest changes. Um, as far as biggest screw-ups, things I've learned from, um, I could give you some stories. My best stories are in my old company, if you're okay with that. Well, yeah, uh, but uh, I'm sure there's a lesson about that. Uh, the 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 company, the 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 previous supplier of robots. Yeah. And so there was a lesson out of that. So what did you what what did you learn with that? It wasn't exactly a screw up, but it was a a startling thing. What was what yeah. was your lesson? You know be careful who you get in bed with and who okay. you depend on. You know, the, the, the problem was there aren't too many companies that make these handwriting machines or there weren't at the time. And there was the company in Virginia. Then there was one even more antiquated, I believe out of Germany, but also with a, a pretty big presence in Virginia. They're all sold to government. So that's why they're based out in Virginia. And I knew it would be a problem, but I also needed something to shoehorn me into the space to get me going. So, you know, back in the back of my head, I always knew I'd have to build a robot. I just didn't know how. And, uh, you know, people have words of advice. They live out, they, they go off. Mine was told to me by Conan O'Brien in college. I had the opportunity to meet him. And he said, always get in over your head. So, that's what I tried to do. I figured, okay, I'll just build a robot. I'll get in over my head. And, and uh, initially, um, I found a gentleman who worked for Jet Propulsion Lab, literally a rocket scientist. He was 
In his day job, he was trying to build a robot that would drill into a comet. So NASA was looking to land a robot on a comet, have the little robot drill into the comet and take a core sample back to Earth. He was on the team to do that. Uh, The robot I got back from him was a total disaster. I don't know if he was a stoner and had just a minor role at that company or if just being in a large bureaucratic company, you know, there's no time, there's no, uh, you know, uh, pressure, time pressure to do anything. But the thing I got back from him stunk of weed and didn't do a damn thing. Then I found a guy in Phoenix where, where we're based um, and I asked him, his name was Bill also, I asked him to build a robot and he's because he was local and I thought I could manage him better. And he said, well, I just took a new job. I'm not available, but I'll introduce you to the best engineering team in Phoenix. And those very kooky people um, turned out to be the best engineering team in Phoenix. And they helped me get my robot off the ground for a very reasonable fee. And then the last step of that was after they had the first version of the robot ready, they said, okay, now you need to hire somebody and we need to train them how to build it and maintain it and improve it. And so I hired a kid out of Arizona State University straight out of school. Um, And I said, you know, you won't know this now, but if you take this job, this will be the best job you've ever had in your life. And so he came up and I meant it because I've had jobs and uh, he came aboard and had he gone to work at Boeing and be an engineer at Boeing or whatever else, he would have been working on a 747, but he wouldn't have been working on a 747. He would have been working on one door hinge, the lavatory of the 747, and he would have spent two years working on it and then handed that over to somebody else who would have approved or or disapproved it, then he'd start all over. At this, he owned the robot from start to finish and a total product ownership of the entire thing. So when he came aboard, um, he learned how to build them and they were made out of full metal. And this is another thing that was really interesting. It was fully metal. So on the front of the robot was a big box that held the electronic componentry. That box, it was just a box, that box, Oh, and it had a hole cut out for the screen where you could use the touch screen and all that. That box alone cost us $400 for a metal box. And he looked at it and he said, you know, I could probably 3D print a box that would do the same thing. And I said, well, I don't have a, a 3D printer. I said, how much is a 3D printer? He said, let me go find one that'll work. And he came back, he found one on Amazon. We don't use them anymore. They're, they're not high quality enough for us, but he found one on Amazon for $400. And I said, and how much would it cost to build the box with that robot? How much plastic? He said, let me find out. He went back, came back about $4. So I said, you need to tell me that with every robot we build, we will cover the cost of that printer. And he said, absolutely. Yes. So I'm like, we're all in, let's buy that robot, let's get going, you know, that 3D printer, let's get going. So we bought the 3D printer, we, we 3D printed that silly box, and then we started replacing more and more parts with from anodized CNC aluminum, which cost a lot of money, to the 3D printing, which costs very little. The other part of that is when you go and you have a part that's made out of anodized aluminum that you send off to a CNC shop, you have to make sure that part's perfect. You have to 
run it through your 3D model. You have to ensure everything is exactly the way you want it. Because when you go to make that part, you can't make one. The only way to get cost efficiency is to make 20 or 40 or 60 or whatever. So what I did was um, by, by moving it in-house to 3D print, you could almost make it an art more than a science. You could say, okay, well, that part works. How about shave a little bit off here, cut a little bit off there. And then 20 minutes later, he'd come back to me with a new part, um, you know, for pennies. So that was very exciting. And then what happened was we 3D printed the whole damn thing. And that wasn't the solution because some big parts, and if I'm going off topic, let me know. No, you're right on topic. This is, you know, everybody that's listening to us, uh, I believe I've discovered over the years, if they get one single nugget out of listening to you, right. it's gold. So just keep going. You're on a roll. So what we did was we're like, well, let's make the whole damn thing out of 3D print. And we upgraded from a $400 3D printer to a $15,000 3D printer that was higher quality. And that did work. We could build a whole robot out of 3D. It would just take forever because 3D printing additive manufacturing is very slow. You have to go line by line, line by line and build up parts. So the time it would take to build one robot was about two and a half weeks. No, I'm sorry, one and a half weeks just to print the parts for the robot. So we started playing around and saying, you know, what could we do? Could we uh, injection mold parts? Could we, you know, cut them out of wood? And I said, well, why not laser cut? So instead of 3D printing certain parts, we now laser cut out of acrylic, half-inch acrylic, flat parts, parts that aren't knobby where you need a 3D printer to do. And that brought a week and a half of parts. I'm sorry, the whole machine took two and a half weeks or something, but the parts we were able to replace took a week and a half. We brought it down to 15 minutes. And the, the printer, the, the laser cutter cost $15,000. The 3D printer cost $15,000. Now we have a whole bank of them, but we've brought the entire process in-house. Later, one of the big, uh, big stumbling blocks was we were hand wiring all these, all these parts together, just wiring, wiring, wiring. And it would take three days, two to three days just to wire a robot. And then God forbid that, that robot gets jostled or if somebody's not paying attention, gets wired wrong, you have to kind of start all over. So we then moved to having our own circuit boards printed. So we've just gone down that path and it's just been a interesting path of manufacturing for a company that knew nothing about manufacturing. Then on the other side, we were dealing with customer cards. So Bill, you would, you would call us and say, I want to send out thank you cards to all my podcast guests, but I want them to be on my stationery, not on your stationery. We'd say, great, send over a box to your stationery. You'd send over a huge box. It would sit in our warehouse, never get used, take up space, and we would have to deal with that and remember under which desk we'd, we'd stick your cards. Now we've actually added a full digital press. So a big portion of our workspace is, is dedicated to a print shop where we print cards on demand. So if today you ask for three cards, tomorrow you ask for 10, we're able to manage that. We've reduced our inventory management and our uh, warehouse space substantially due to that. So there's just a lot of things we've done that, you know, you have to look at your business uh, kind of from the outside in and uh, don't work on the business, but work in, uh, don't work in the business, but work on the business and see, okay, what are the real bottlenecks here? Is it building robots? Is it dealing with inventory? Whatever those are and, 
And uh, that's been really fun. I bet it has been. So uh, you uh, asked permission to go back into your previous business and find a couple of mistakes and uh, and successes. And so green light it. So they all have to do with screwing up. Um, So early, early on in my last company, it, it too started as a one man show. And um, there weren't too many texting companies around back there. So we got some really great clients like uh, Marie Claire magazine and, and, and some pretty big clients early on, including the circus when the circus existed, Feld entertainment owned the circus Ringling brothers and Disney on ice and monster trucks and all these other brands. And we powered text messaging for all of them. Early on, I was living in Chicago um, and I was not only selling the accounts, but making sure everything worked. So the circus had this thing where the elephant would come out and paint a picture during part of the show. And they said, um, you know, if you texted this word that would appear during the show, you know, as he was painting or whatever, you could win a family four pack to Disney on ice. They were cross promoting Disney on ice. Um, you would be entered to win a family four pack. So what happened was I programmed the system to accept all the entries, wait a delay, and then pick one person at random and send them a family four pack. I then left for a date. I was a single man in Chicago. I left, took my car downtown Chicago. And as I'm getting downtown, my phone rings and it's the woman from the circus saying, I don't know what happened but we're having everybody come to the ticket gate saying they've won a family four pack to Cirque du Soleil, to, um, to, ring, to Disney on ice. So in my haste or excitement of going on this date, I had forgotten to limit it to one person. Um, so I'm driving to the date. I say, well, I guess, I guess sell it. My old company is buying everybody a family four pack to Disney on ice, which is what we did. We took responsibility we owned up, we bought every, we didn't, we said, you know, we didn't say turn them down. We said, give them the tickets. We covered it. I get to the date and this girl uh, was so cheery and I told her, you know, and I was all stressed out and clearly not in the best mood. And I said, you know, this is what happened. I just screwed up. I accidentally gave everybody, uh, you know, uh, everybody won. There was supposed to be one winner. And she's like, that's great. <laughs> all these kids get to go to Disney on ice. And I said, yeah, you could, you could think of it that way. But, um, but they really appreciated that we owned up and we did the right thing. And so much of, and I see, I'm in my forties, I'm, I'm 45, but I call them these kids today because right now I notice so many people never take responsibility. They never own up to their issues and they never, over, you have to go above and beyond to fix what you did. Um, for instance, we had at the same company, we, our client was Elizabeth Arden Red Door Spas. Mm-hmm. And they were doing a promotion where you would text in again before the iPhone, or I guess right after the iPhone, text in to join our spa club and get special alerts on your phone about the spa. And we had sent them posters or they had asked for the number to go on the posters. Then they had posters made up for every store. So, you know, text Red Door to one, two, three, four, five um, to get entered in this thing. And the account manager gave them the wrong number. Instead of one, two, three, four, five, they said five, four, three, two, one, or whatever it was. 
So what we could have done is just said, oh, we're so sorry. Here's a bunch of money to go, um, you know, replace those posters. Instead, we had the correct posters made up at our cost. I then sent my employees to all Elizabeth Arden locations around the country, carrying the poster and a bag of treats and dropped them off at each spa and apologized. Um, you know, because we knew it was our fault. So we wanted to make it right and keep the account. And to me, you know, it really, service is what sets you apart. And it's not that you screw up. Everybody screws up. It's how you handle the screw up. And, and that was really important to me. So um, that was my, that's probably my favorite example. Um, these days, lessons learned are more about tiptoeing around employees, dealing with employees is much harder these days. Um, but those are really my, my best examples that I can share. So, okay, talk about these days. So what, what would you say is holding you and the company back right now? I think, I think managing employees, getting good cultural fits. Um, we're starting to implement some cultural surveys to identify the types of employees that we want around here. Uh, you know, all ethnicities, all ages, all genders, all sexual orientations. I don't care about that, but I care about how your mind works and and what you feel is important. And so we're implementing some cultural surveys to do that um, and try to find better p- people to put in the right seats. Um, I find people these days, there's a um, total, it's not that they don't believe in authority they just believe they have the authority that they've been doing this job for two weeks. So why should you, who's been doing this job for 20 years, tell me anything, you know, I've been doing this too. There's this flattening. And I think it starts very early with parenting and parents going by first names and don't get me started. But I think, you know, as opposed to Mr. And Mrs. So-and-so, I think there's just a lack of respect and a lack of authority that we really kind of need to nip in the bud. Nobody, nobody appreciates experience anymore. Very well said. So uh, we've got a lot of listeners. We've got uh, potential customers. We've got potential employees for you, software engineers, fabricators, potential vendors. So think about all those folks, uh, David. How would they get a hold of you and your organization? Yeah, I mean, the best way, honestly, is just to go to, uh, I mean, you can obviously email me. I'm David at Handwritten, and Handwritten spelled with a Y, so H-A-N-D-W-R-Y-T-T-E-N.com. That's the best way to get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just look for David um, Handwritten, and you'll find me on those. Um, LinkedIn is the big one. I'm less active on Twitter. Please visit Handwritten.com, and uh, if if you don't believe what we do looks real, request a free sample pack. Just go to the business tab at the top, fill in your info. We'll send you a whole sample kit with all sorts of examples of our handwriting styles and our printing quality and and all that. So you can judge for yourself. You can lick your finger and smudge the ink, see that it passes the smudge test. Um, But yeah, that's what I recommend people do. And then if you want to sign up, use discount code podcast when you sign up all one word and that'll get you a few bucks free credit to, to set up your own account. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Very generous. So uh, I've asked you quite a bit of questions, dug in a little bit and so forth and so on, but we're, uh, is there a question maybe that uh, you were waiting for me to ask you, David and I didn't. And so what would that question be and what would the answer be? 
Um, a lot of people ask, how hard is it to get started? And you kind of asked me that when you said, you know, how much is a card? $10. This doesn't have to be, A, you don't need to use this at all. What I'm really, you know, as you mentioned at the top of your show, you said that the topic is the power of handwritten notes. You don't need to use us. You don't need to use our competitors. You just need to write handwritten notes and see for yourself. Um, so yeah, I would say it's not hard to get started. Send a handwritten note yourself um, and, and see the results that it generates. Just yesterday, I have a, a buddy back from Chicago in, in Chicago, barely knew the guy, but he's decided to stay in touch with me. And he wants to use our service to prospect houses. He's looking to buy a house, going through uh, realtors. He's not seeing the inventory these days. So he figured, well, let me send out a bunch of handwritten notes to in neighborhoods I want, and maybe somebody will appeal, you know, find that a nice appeal yeah. and offer their house. He sent, <laughs> I was joking with him yesterday. I said, perfect. We don't have to go any further. He sent one note. I have it on my phone. I could show you the text message. He sent one note to test it just to see how this process worked and to see if, you know, what would happen. He sent one note and the person called him. One note to the, so I say, stop right there. You have a hundred percent success rate. No need to go any further, but he used our service to do that, but you don't need to use our service. Just send handwritten notes and, and take a, a thank, uh, a thank you first approach, a gratitude first approach to your business and see what a change that makes. The other question people often ask us is what's the ROI on this? And my answer these days is if you have to ask for the ROI, you're, you're, you're thinking about it completely wrong. It's people now have unlimited opportunities of alternative products. We live in a world of abundance. And if they don't buy your widget or, or buy your service, they can choose from any widget or service on, on the internet. So you need to be thankful that they found you and don't look for the ROI, that relationship will naturally blossom. So uh, those would be the two things I'd say. Ah, fantastic. Thank you, David, very much. Thanks. So everybody, look, in closing, let's focus on a single fact. And that is this, our businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there uh, as a result of the owner, you and I, first learning and then applying to have the right mindset a dedication to a system of management, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams, either inside your organization or outside people who are very well equipped to help you out like David right here in front of you right now. So thanks for listening, David. And once again, thanks for being here with us. Thank you, Bill.